You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. This episode is powered by Invest Ottawa. This is Naomi here and Accelerate Ought this year, which is the flagship entrepreneurship conference hosted by Invest Ottawa, has women founders and funders leading from the stage. I've teamed up with the Invest Ottawa team to bring to you this podcast series, which highlights leading women. And on October 27th, 2021, you can join the incredible Invest Ottawa community and more than 700 people at Accelerate Ought, an epic one-day hybrid conference where you can expect authentic and actionable insights from the tech and entrepreneurial trenches that you can put to work immediately, live and online networking, six inspirational sessions, with more than 25 speakers, scale up revenue, customer, and funding strategies to accelerate your growth. And I'm also really excited about a pitch competition that will be taking place, which will land founders $200,000 in investment. If you're a founder, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, investor, industry leader, or business owner looking to accelerate your growth and success, Accelerate Ought is for you. Without further ado, enjoy this week's conversation with Tekla Kalinda. This is the second episode of the series. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am here with Tekla Kalinda. Tekla, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing so well, and I'm I'm really excited to chat with you. I absolutely love the work that you're doing with Zalasmart and I think that the impact that you're making as well is is profound and so for the audience Tekla is a senior analyst at the Bank of Canada by day and the founder of Zalasmart a financial education company aimed to bring in a new era of financial literacy and money management amongst kids in Canada Tekla officially launched Zala Smart in 2018, and her organization has partnered with the Ottawa Public Library and their 30 branches and organizations like For Us Girls, Global Shapers, Girl Guides of Canada, and many others that are aligned with seeing how valuable this is for young people. Um, I wanted to quote your website as further context for the audience around your mission and, and what you focused what you folks are focused on when it comes to like the long-term impact that you want to make. So quote, through our learning opportunities, we hope to change the high statistical rate of young adults between the ages of 18 to 25 with high credit card debt and little to no personal savings. So you talk a lot about, you know, taking these preventative measures and working with um, youth ages five to 17 so that you could you know have a longer term impact on the way they're able to lead their lives. Tekla is currently doing her master's degree in financial economics and is also a member of the global shapers community here in Ottawa. And so Tekla, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to chat with you. Oh, thanks for having me, Naomi. It's such a pleasure. I'd love for you to get us started by talking a little bit about your origin story, kind of how you grew up, where you grew up. Oh, wow. We're going way back. <laughs> way back. Okay. Well, I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. From there, my family moved around a lot. I lived in Portugal. I lived in South Africa. And I also live, now I live in Canada. 
So I have lived in multiple different countries, but I consider uh, Ottawa home mainly because it's the place I've lived the longest and where I've really been able to grow some roots and let the tree grow and bear fruit from the tree as well. So so yeah, I guess that's a, a little bit of background around me. I'm also half Rondies. I recently got married, which is super exciting. Congratulations. And I studied economics for my undergrad at university. Now, as you know, I'm doing my master's program. So I'm doing my master's in economics and my concentrations in financial economics. And uh, it's going well. I'll be done next year. It's very exciting. I'm actually curious to know if financial literacy is something that you were exposed to growing up and what those conversations look like in your household. Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. So I would say money was something I was always curious about. Um, I feel like when I was born, my family was in good financial situations. Unfortunately, I do come from countries or or lived in countries where things weren't necessarily super stable political-wise. You know, in Congo, there was civil war. My extended family in Rwanda also suffered from, you know, the genocide. And even in South Africa, there was an apartheid. So things weren't always necessarily um, stable. I feel like when I was born, we were good. And when we moved to Canada, we weren't good anymore. Like I remember moving here, we came here as refugees, we lived at a shelter first, and then we had to like, slowly but surely work hard and make our our way to like middle class or whatnot. So things were a bit of a journey. But I remember being younger. And you know, I had maids and nannies and drivers and like, like, we were really good. I would say now we're back to a, a pretty good place. Like, I'm not very materialistic person. But like, you know, as long as you have your family, your health, your happiness or whatnot. But um, I think Coming from having a lot, also knowing what it's like to not have anything, you kind of see what money can do for you in your life, right? I definitely say those events have sparked my interest of money and have also really made me want to make sure that I am financially secure, financially literate, understand how it works, how to make my money grow, how to A, keep my money also, (laughs) Because sometimes you can have a large income, but if it's going out the door every every month mm-hmm. um, and you're left with nothing that you, you have to show for it in terms of what you get to keep, like that's not necessarily the best thing either, right? And I think just wanting to secure that and also like retirement too. Sorry, and I couldn't hear. to not pass that, sorry, my watch <laughs> for some reason started talking. But yeah, to not pass that on to following generations. feel like I also come from a culture that when your parents age, you take care of them. But like, then that forces you to not be able to like save up your own retirement. So then your kids have to take care of you and that cycle continues. But if there's a way to stop that thing so that your kids have enough money and they're not spending it all taking care of you as their parent, And, you know, they can take care of themselves and retire well and then be able to leave something and like kind of build that generational wealth. Mm -hmm. I think that's something else I would really love to see more so in my family. I also think my mom was good too because 
she handed me when I was younger, uh, this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. You've probably heard about it. And, yeah, I've read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it completely changed my life. Like I was a teenager when I received it. And I shortly after got my first job, which was at Subway. <laughs> and I opened up like my first investment account when I was 17. And I just started going at it. And luckily too, like when I was in grade 12, I took an economics class. And they Very talked cool. about like buy low, sell high. I remember like I, I'm really good at like learning and like applying the principles I learn. I think that's the key thing, right? It's easy to read and like hear about a lot of things, but it's a whole other thing when you're actually doing it and applying the principles and making it work. Right. And seeing how like it worked so well for me. And I think just also other cases that I've seen of people close to me. You know, like you're 18 years old, say you go to college and you're on campus and, you know, they have little booths, like giving out credit cards, like everyone's ready to give you a credit card and, you know, oh, you only need to pay the minimum payment. It's like 10 bucks a month, you know, but you have $500 on the card or $1,000 on the card. And I've, I've seen people close to me, like take these things up without fully understanding it, finding like, you know, credit cards have such high interest rates. It's like 22%, right? Um, and sometimes they, they like the situations I've personally seen is they're not able to necessarily pay it and then it ruins their credit. And then it's hard for them to buy a home, you know? And they have- it just trickles down to like so many other life decisions that you're making. And I'm so curious to know if, starting at 17 and, you know, getting that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and starting to apply it, that did you ever kind of ask yourself, like, oh, if I had started, you know, a couple years earlier, I would be in like a much better position? Or were you just glad that you started at that age when maybe it wasn't so common for younger people um, to be doing those and making those types of decisions at that time? Absolutely. I wish I could have started significantly earlier, um, hands down, mainly because information is king. So yes, like it's cool that I had some information and some knowledge and I was able to open up my investment account and like start doing things that put me in a better financial situation, uh, even in terms of how I would manage my credit cards and all that stuff. But I definitely wish I started sooner because if I started sooner, I probably would have known a lot more information and I probably could have avoided a few other things that I did, which I had to learn from and do better, right? So one example is like I understood compound interest, but not as deeply as I do today, right? And like the power of compound interest is you kind of don't want to touch it because the longer um, your money stays in an investment account that's accumulating compound interest, the quicker the compounding happens, the longer it's been in there, right? So when I was in my early 20s, I, you know, I was like, oh, okay, like I have this good amount set up, maybe I will use it to pay this off. But like looking back, I'm like, oh, maybe that wasn't the best decision, just because Today, that amount that I used to pay that off would be worth a crazy, like a way bigger amount than it was back then had I just left it. And it's Mm. a lot harder to build that back up because the biggest thing with compound interest is time. Time is your best friend. 
time. So whenever you take time away from it, (laughs) it's not necessarily a good thing. So Mm -hmm. I could have just used, you know, my normal day job at the time to pay like, and like slowly pay that off and let what I had then have grown into a, a way bigger amount than paying it off back then. Mm-hmm. So. so can you share, because this is kind of leading us into starting young, giving young people access to the information that, you know, as adults, we're like, we wish we, and it's not always so complicated, right? I think there are a lot of industries that benefit from making this seem like it's out of reach for quote unquote ordinary people. And so can you bring us back to when you started thinking about the idea for Zala Smart, what instigated that? And can you bring us into today and how that's grown and evolved? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I love my day job. As you mentioned earlier, I work at Bank of Canada and it's what my work there is what inspired me to actually develop Zala Smart. So back then I was working on the financial institutions team and uh, I was responsible for a lot of different stuff. But one of the things I did was uh, we published statistics on the Bank of Canada's website. I would sign off on some of those numbers before they would go live. So these numbers include things such as household credit or business credit or whatnot. And if you're not familiar with like what household credit is, it's pretty much if you take every household, so we all live in homes, right? That's what we call households. And every home has debt. So whether it's a mortgage, a student loan, a credit card, a car loan, a lot of these homes have debt. So if you add up all those homes across the country, you get total household debt. And you know these are numbers that we publish. And I just saw these numbers just rising and rising. I just remember thinking to myself, like, why are we in so much debt here? Like, why is a number like rising so quickly? Why is it so high? And I remember when it hit that, that uh, trillion in the trillions, I think it was, if I recall correctly at the time, around like 2 trillion mark. Like it was all over the news, like, oh my gosh, we finally hit this mark. And it was kind of a big deal. And I started thinking to myself, I wonder if every Canadian child was taught basic financial literacy, if these statistics could be reversed. And I remember looking into it and I couldn't find a single program where a child could enter and learn everything end to end from like understanding credit scores, budgeting, savings and savings goals, like the whole thing end to end. And I was like, why does it exist? Like, could it change things? And that's actually when I really got interested into it. And I started looking at it. And then I started developing and like talking to people. Yeah, that's kind of when the idea of Zala Smart was born. From there, a lot of work happened. Multiple people were involved. Like, remember talking to my sister and like she connected me with this other lady, which is awesome. I kind of call her like an expert curriculum developer, just because there's a lot of these different skills that I don't necessarily have. So I'm like, this is what I want to do. But like, and it's another thing to do it, right? And like when you're working with kids, you want animation and all that stuff. So uh, working with her and like, her having that expertise and that knowledge and also just working with a bunch of other different experts too. I spoke to many people in the financial world, like 
you know, whether you're a financial advisor just at a local bank, like what are the, the issues you're seeing the most, what's going on. I also started speaking to a neuroscience um, scientist. So she's a specialist and she really understands like brain development and how to make concepts stick in a person's mind long term, right? So in discussions with her and like other specialists, I realized like I had to start at a way younger age than I was originally thinking of, right? Like at first I was thinking like maybe hit 18, 19, 20-ish, right? Um, But learning all of that, like the key concepts, like the best time to learn them are during your core development phases. So that's like when you learn to ride a bike or to swim, like as a kid, like your mannerisms and all those things we learn as a kid and they kind of form us and stick with us for life. And that's the best time to do it because you create those habits and you just maintain them. You know, all those things just go like, these are just some examples of things. There's more things that go into it. But when you want to create like, a strong good product that you want to last you don't want it to just be a class they come to and then forget about tomorrow like you're really trying to make an impact and have them recall all this stuff right and that's why our program is done using storytelling experiential learning and games because our try method (laughs) kind of helps install these things uh properly yeah i have a couple questions before this but i around the the household debt conversation, I started looking into the numbers a little bit. And I feel like as a general population, people probably can assume that the numbers are really high and um, there's a huge problem here. But just for some context for folks, Statistics Canada reported in at the end of 2020 that the average Canadian household now owes a dollar and 71 cents for every dollar of disposable income. And so when Tekla earlier was mentioning the total household debt, this brings it down to a little bit more perspective around what that can look like on an individual basis. And I think this is for you to identify that problem, see it, and then immediately think of possible solutions or like what you personally can do to impact it. That's really inspiring. And it's also akin to wanting to use things that maybe you've learned earlier in your journey to help other people who are, who are, you know, just coming up and, and you did so in a way that was really intentional. And something that I really want to highlight here is that you outsourced. So can you talk a little bit about if you knew to do that early in the journey, like to, to say, I actually have gaps and I'm an expert at this, but if I want to develop something really great and something, as you mentioned, that they could retain, I need to bring in all of these different people and minds to the table. So can you talk a little bit about your process of thinking through who needs to, to be at this table and how that kind of grew over time? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Boy, was it a process and a journey. A, you have to be really passionate about what you're doing and really love it because to make it become alive is really hard. And I'm not saying that to discourage people, (laughs) but it's like, it's the truth, right? I feel like a lot of people look at entrepreneurs and especially the successful ones, you see the glitz and the glance, but you don't see the grind behind it. Um, And there's a lot of hard work that goes behind it. Um, And it can also be a bit overwhelming. So perseverance is also very important. 
Uh, but I think if you're super passionate about it and you persevere, you'll be good. So just to give you some ideas, it's like, okay, so I have this idea now, right? Financial literacy is important. Why can't I find like a good program? Like maybe we should put something together and like, you know, try help as many kids as, as we can. So it's just an idea at that point. You know, you go, um, you work with people, you come up with, you know, some type of product, you're ready to bring it out there. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I need a venue that costs money. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I need a website that costs money too. Okay. Like all of a sudden, um, you, you, you have to do all these other things and you're like, you need to market, which is another budget. Right. But like, am I a website designer? Am I a pro marketer? <laughs> do I have a venue? available that's like kid friendly and all that stuff no definitely not so then you realize like okay well in order to do this you need to like charge and then you know when you charge you can't just take money from people so you have to like go and register as a business so you go from like okay all i want to do is just <laughs> teach that's kids so stuff right yeah and then and then you do all these things like you go and you do the business thing because like you just keep hitting these hurdles right and you're like oh, okay now i need to register okay i really want to like teach these kids so fine like you register and then all of a sudden when you're a business then you know there's an hr component there's like i said like the the tech component there's the marketing component all these components and you're like i'm wearing 10 different hats like i didn't sign up necessarily to be a marketer like i'm not even an expert marketer and here i am trying to create like a social media ad to post to let people know about what i want to do and that's where the outsourcing comes right like it's a lot it's a lot and it's overwhelming and support is needed and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't need to be an expert in these things. I can find experts that I can get to help to, to help and support me. And it will be done right. It will be done well. And it will save so much time. Time is something huge to me. I value it a lot. Um, I, I, it's probably one of the things I, like, on my top most valuable things. It saves me so much time. I just think it's really important though that before you work with anybody, maybe Google a couple art articles on like marketing, what it means and what's out there and what's, what, what you could be looking for. There's so many different things of like, you know, things to ask somebody you want to hire and, you know, things to look for just so that when you do go and hire that person, you don't know nothing. Uh, you're not the expert like them, but when you're assessing them, you can kind of see through if what they're saying is making sense and helpful. After doing research and talking to like many other entrepreneurs as well, you quickly see that you don't have to be an expert in what you want to do. You can hire the experts to do it and still get it done and do it well. Yeah. And you have the vision. And I think it's a skill in and of itself to bring the right people together to make that happen and to operationalize all of these things, right? So huge, good for you. And so it officially launched in, in 2018. You'd been working on it before. I'm wondering in terms of programming and how you thought through the content, because I want to get to partnerships and like delivery and all of that stuff, but I'm curious to know a little bit about how you started to like develop the product itself and what those conversations look like. If you could bring us into your world a little bit. For sure. Um, I guess it started off with a lot of reading 
and talking to a lot of people. So I join like multiple groups and this is where my mom's been great because she'll be, she, she always has these ideas like, oh, there's this entrepreneurship group. Like you should join them and like learn from them or whatnot. And I did a lot of reading and I looked up to like what else finance stuff is happening in my city and was able to contact folks like in the field and learn a lot from them, right? So like I'm thinking of like this one couple uh, when she was doing her, I think it was her thesis, she did like a whole article on like financial literacy and like why aren't there full-fledged programs out there and stuff, right? So like meeting with them and learning so much and kind of understanding the why it's not there too, I thought was key. And then just working with people that are experts. So for example, the lady I mentioned that my sister introduced me to, um, she had a lot of experience in this stuff, but she's, she's, she's living in another country, right? So like working um, with her was super great because curriculum wise, she was able to like develop a lot of that uh, content, which is amazing. Honestly, it's, it's all help. It's like it takes, it took a village, but mainly it's just working with experts straight up. Working with experts, um, following what's happening a lot in the area. And um, I also went a lot of off of like experiences that I saw or that I went through and just talking to a lot of people. So the first step is just the research phase. Research, 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 learn, 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 understand the problem, what's happening out there, what do people need, why is it happening? Second step is developing or helping find people to develop, ideally an expert in the field to help develop everything. And I think the key thing was the testing phase. So like once I uh, worked with that expert curriculum developer and I got a lot of like, you know, the nice content, I went out there and I tested it. I made a whole bunch of edits. So like some of the stuff doesn't look really like the original stuff, right? Because you're working with the students and you're out there and you realize what activity they like, what they don't like. You ask them, was there anything to this game you would change? Um, and I think the testing phase was super key and that's why I'm so happy I didn't spend so much time trying to perfect something before going live and going out there to the public and just went to the public with the first prototype that Zala Smart had mainly because it changed so much and uh, as it changed, you know, you go back out there, you see the kids like it a lot more. And then you, you, you know, I'd always ask for feedback and it changed again. And then I'd go back out there and they like it even better to the point where, you know, I asked for feedback and they're like, no, it's good. Like, I don't know. Like it was so much fun or, you know, sometimes even when I run up, run into my students in like at the mall or wherever, and they like randomly run to me and give me a hug, like those little moments, I'm just like, oh, like you remembered me. Like, but yeah, I guess. That's like the high level journey, if that helps answer your question. It's, yeah, it's really great to see how you tested almost immediately and wanted to get feedback and make it better. I think often what we hear is that when you have that, like you want to protect, you want to perfect it and you want to make sure it's perfect before you launch it in any way. But at the same time, that's likely doing an injustice to the people who 
you are building it for and who it's going to benefit, you know, the end client or the end user. Um, I'm really happy to hear that you tested it, got the feedback, actually incorporated it, and then went through that process multiple times to get to a product that really resonates with, with young children too. So that's amazing. I'm wondering like where you see after all that feedback and maybe even talking to, to, to parents who tell you that they that they want to be in the class as well. Um, where do you see the most opportunity in the space in financial education, financial literacy? Where do I see the most opportunity? Yeah. Yeah, I've had so many parents, especially like for particular lessons uh, within our program, be like, can I sit in on this? Or like, this is something I feel like I need to learn myself, especially the stuff of like understanding credit scores. And when we go into like, good debt, bad debt, and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely do feel like there is a big space for parents. I've thought about, uh, actually I'm working on it, developing something for them specifically, that way they can attend too. Because I noticed like when I did say okay for parents to come into the classroom, the dynamic of the classroom completely changed. The kids weren't necessarily as open or... Um, it just changed the vibe because it's super fun and super interactive. And I noticed uh, with the adults around, for some reason, their behavior wasn't the same and they weren't as um, engaged. So that's why I stopped letting uh, <laughs> parents join in just so that the kids can have the best experience possible. Um, but definitely, yeah, like doing something more for the parents is is the next space and then the other thing too is i want to have a better online program so we're launching zala smart online i think that's another huge space that way it makes it accessible worldwide having it in multiple languages also so with incorporating different languages what has your process been in this respect okay so we're in english right now we're not in like we're not fully in any other language yet but um, I think you mentioned earlier down the line right like what do I see spaces for so that's definitely a direction we're going to be going uh, the next one will be French and then um, after that I was gearing towards Spanish or, or Mandarin so uh, but translating just because I have been looking into that just because as I've been thinking into the future and, and next steps and how to grow um, yeah that's a whole other ball game because um, when you're like because we work with such a young age a lot of the basic concepts work universally no matter where you are in the world right and we stick to just facts um, it's all education so people understand the system and how it works and what the terms mean and they see history of how it could be used, um, how it's been used to people's advantages, etc. But I think when you start getting into translating, especially for our teen courses that incorporate more stuff in terms of like investments, those kind of vehicles can differ from country to country. Of course. Right. So we have a component of our programming that is uh, customizable. So, for example, we have another client um, in Africa, actually, 
uh, and they're connected with 86 schools there. And they have to, and I'm just mentioning this because I've been talking to them like recently. Mm-hmm. And our discussion right now was, so this 5% of five to, depending how different it is, maybe up to 10% of this curriculum that needs to be customized and geared towards how the system works there locally, right? So there's that. And that also ties in with translation because sometimes people call things different things in their local country, right? So it might not be called a mutual fund. It could be called something else. It might not be. So just because the names are different or, you know, they might not call them an ATM card or (laughs) or whatever the case is locally. Yeah, 100%. And I wanted to mention this because at least for the audience. I, and this is something that I've struggled with around outsourcing and delegating work that that you don't need to be doing at a certain level. The fact that you can think about strategy and long-term growth and different opportunities that you can tap into, that's because you've provided yourself the space because other people are focused on maybe some of the the more day-to-day operations, whether that's curriculum development, as you've mentioned, uh, social media. And did you want to say anything to that of how you've seen the impact in being able to grow Zala Smart as well? Yeah, I think what gives you the headspace is if you're able to outsource, if you're not spending all your time on your social media page and trying to do that and you were able to outsource, you now have time on your hands to think of like, how to grow and like, like do things that you can do really well because you have that vision and you have that idea of what you want to do. I think the other key thing is listening. These ideas come because people have asked me like, is it available in this language? And I feel like, oh, that's something I need to do. So not only do I listen, but I write down and I revisit and see how I can incorporate it into the long-term plan because the goal is to help as many people as possible. And people come in all different ways, whether they speak different languages, whether they have different thoughts or beliefs or, you know, whatever the case is. So um, listening, writing it down, and then seeing how to incorporate it. I just do my best to give the market what it's asking me of. And I find it's also important to know when to say no, right? Because you have Mm -hmm. to be focused, Right. Because then people are like, oh, like do adult classes and all of that. And it's a lot of work to build for everybody. You know, maybe down the line, it's something I could add into. But I remember feeling at one point like I was spread thin because I was trying to build for different age groups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was too much. And I realized like, no, stay focused, you know, build your five to eight year old stuff get that done, perfect it, get it growing and doing well, then like move up to like your nine to 12 and then go to your like, you know, your, your teenagers. So there's the kids, the tweens, and then the teens. (laughs) And if all of that is doing well and soaring and doing great, then move on to the next thing. But when you're all over the place, it's hard to function I feel to the like it's hard to make each thing soar very well because you're not focused if that makes sense yeah thanks for adding that nuance in because it's it's critical you can get so many ideas and then be and then 
you know, at the end of the day, not be able to action on any of them because your plate is too full. And so I've, that discernment piece is, is huge and, and really appreciate you sharing what that looks like as well. The ability to say no and say, it's not aligned with what I'm currently building and, and the vision, right? Before we wrap up the episode, I'd love to learn maybe more so on not that there's a need to separate like personal and professional and and all those different aspects of your life, but what has been a really important investment that you've made that has helped you on your journey? Um, And do you mean like financial investment or just in general? No, it does not have to be financial. No. I want to think about it more, but off the top of my head, the first thing that came in was fostering strong, good connections and relationships with people. I find like, at least in my life, what makes it awesome is because I love the people in my life. And I think they're awesome too. And I've invested so much time in these relationships. Like a lot of like my close friends, like we've been friends for over half my life. (laughs) And I just couldn't imagine it any other way because they're like, the bright the joys of my life not just my friends but like with my family too with my nieces and nephews they're everything to me so I really feel like investing and putting time into that um no matter what kind of situation I'm in good or bad those people always bring me joy and it's worth everything (laughs) I'd give it I'd do anything for them It's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Tekla, and thank you to everyone who's had a chance to listen to the episode. What would be the best place for them to connect with you online? Uh, You can contact me via LinkedIn, or if you just go to zalasmart.com, Z-A-L-A smart.com, there's a contact us form. All of the links for where you can connect with Tekla and then also learn about Zala Smart will be in the show notes. And I also wanted to give a huge thank you to Invest Ottawa as well for partnering on this incredible series. We will catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for having me, Naomi. Thank you for listening to the Power of Why podcast. You can find the show notes at naomihiley.com. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Power of Why on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa. We teamed up to produce this special series in celebration of Accelerate Ought 2021, Ottawa's flagship entrepreneurial conference, which is taking place on October 27th. 2021 with six inspirational sessions more than 25 guest speakers if you want to learn more visit www.accelerateot.ca that's spelled a-c-c-e-l-e-r-a-t-e-o-t-t.ca to learn more